Lord God, as we have gathered today, everything that we do really culminates, Lord God, in celebrating you through hearing and the doing of your word, Lord God. And so I pray, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be in our gathering today as you have already been and help us to be not only uh, hearers, but doers of your word, Lord God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord God, my strength and my redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen, amen. Real quick, before we begin, a couple of things. Man to man is this Wednesday. Yeah, so men come out. Come out and get it in. We're going we're gonna to be, um, we want to see our manhood beefed up um, in a godly, 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 godly way. And we want to do it biblically. And so men, if you're not connected and you're not in a community of cats where you're able to chop it up, whether you're a member here or not, you are welcomed like crazy to come on out. And so please, 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 please um, connect with us on this Wednesday, men. Also, want to um, encourage you. I know a lot of people listen on our podcast, and some of you in Baltimore. Um, there's a church plant starting in Baltimore, and they're having prayer tonight. They're having pre-launch stuff tonight. And um, the name of the church is Freedom Church. And um, you can bring me the address. You got the address? Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah, it's okay to clap. It's good. It's okay to clap. And so, Freedom Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they are meeting at Central YMCA at 900 East 33rd Street in Baltimore. So I know a lot of people have been calling us from B-More looking for a church. Get involved with this one. This is going to be a sound, godly, uh, Christ-centered church that's starting under the leadership of Michael Crawford and Rob Steinbach. And um, our own Aisha is down there helping them plant. And so it's going to be crazy. And so you want to be there at the YMCA. Um, uh, 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 and so we're excited. and We're going to be um, um, hollering at them, chopping it up with them. So it's going to be a great opportunity if you want to be involved with a church plant that's trying to do something in the city, solid. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Let's dive in. Luke chapter 11. We're back in it. And we've been going through a series called Hot for Jesus. And as we've been talking about this idea of being hot for Jesus, we've been talking about it in the sense of seeing the spiritual lives of people richly developed and on a very, very practical level. However, I think many times in prayer, we so many times focus in on the content aspect of prayer. I mean, the, uh, how we're going to say it and that type of thing and not really understand the framework of the prayer life that we are supposed to have. So we talked about getting a secret place. Who got their secret place set up? High hands lifted real high. I want to see them high. No elbow room. Yeah. A secret place. Hands down. How many of y'all still searching? It's Okay. Searching for a secret place. I told y'all, y'all got to get in the bathtub, close the curtain on it, lay back, you know, whatever you got to do. But find you a spot where you and Jesus Christ can regularly get it in at. Because that's going to be very, very important for a Christian spiritual life. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot walk godly in Christ Jesus and, and, and not have regular communication with the living God. Because the reason why you got saved was not so your life could be better. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me explain that. See, many people think we get saved to get something in particular. That's not why we get saved. We get saved to get someone. Y'all should have been clapping and shouting on that part. See, 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 you're saved to get someone. Jesus says, this is eternal life. In John 17, 3, that you would know the Father and his only son who he sent. Being saved is about being in community with the triune God. Dang. You mean to tell me you could chop it up with all three persons of the Trinity? That's why you got saved. You ain't get saved to be cuter. You ain't get saved to get married. You ain't get saved to get money. You ain't get saved to get a crib. You got saved so that you can love God again. That, that's, that's, that's what salvation is all about. And, and so in light of that reality, y'all, prayer is a part of nurturing that relationship that we have with the Father. And so it's so important and so fun 
to talk through this idea of prayer. And one of the things that we landed on is, is, is we've been talking about Jesus' prayer life and seeing some of his practices and how Jesus' prayer life was extremely attractional and how his disciples were so blown away by his depth and his intimacy with the Father that they said, teach us how to be like that. They didn't say, teach us how to say what you say. That's not what they were asking. And, and, and so when we look at this prayer, really Jesus is giving them a framework for the heart of which their prayer was about. If you just walk away with, from prayer with praise and thanksgiving, uh, um, 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 confession and repentance, and prayers and supplications, that, that's okay. That's just a prayer structure. But Jesus is really communicating to them the heart of prayer. Say the heart of prayer. Yeah, and, and God is always concerned about the heart. And so when we look in this prayer, it's not really about a format as much as it is about the framework of the believer's life as they interact with the Father. Very important. And so we, we talked about a few weeks ago, crazy, a few weeks ago, we third week, we're going to try to finish it today. We talked about Father. Anybody rem remember what we zoomed in on, what Father in this prayer signifies? Relationship. Amen, amen, amen. But then, Hallowed, what did that zoom in on? Respect. So relationship and respect, right? And so we zoomed in on that. Anybody remember last week what name zoomed us in on? Uh-oh. Huh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Character. Absolutely. And so you can't talk to a person you don't know. Who, who did we see last week, based on Philippians chapter 2, that God injected everything that Yahweh was into that name? Whose name? Jesus Christ. So everything that people used to utilize to get in contact with Yahweh God says, you're no longer using my, the, my, my central name to the Godhead anymore. Because it's interesting that even in the Great Commission, it says baptizing them in the name. It's interesting that it didn't say names, plural, right? And that's why some people get confused when they get to Acts 2 and see them baptizing people in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name in which is utilized to contact the Godhead. So God isn't doing, you can say father all you want, but if you're not in Jesus, fatherhood doesn't matter. You can say, fill this place, Holy Spirit, come down if he's not going to feel nothing without Jesus. He's not going to do anything without Jesus. And so that's the main way in which cats get in contact with the Godhead. Say the Godhead. Yeah, you got to know your God in this place. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to know him. And so we went from name and then we began talking about the kingdom. Say kingdom. kingdom. Yeah, kingdom is God's comprehensive rule over all creation. Jesus says, your kingdom come. Beautiful statement we're on today. Because as we think about kingdom and, the, and prayer, we're talking about really two major, major, major concepts as we talk about the idea of kingdom. Kingdom means that there is a king. You can't say that there is not, when we talk about kingdom, it's not a geographical sphere of influence merely. But, but it, 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 it has to do with a person, not merely a place. And a, a way of thinking and a way of doing things that he wants to infiltrate everything. And so when we're calling for God's kingdom to come, we're asking specifically for the way things are done in heaven we want them to come and influence earth. That's why in the Matthew prayer, you see him saying, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is where? So God's desire is for earth to reflect heaven. Just meditate on that for a second. Everything in your life, in the heart of your prayer, the heart that Jesus says that every believer has in prayer is that we should want earth to reflect heaven, not heaven to reflect earth. That's very important because when you want to make God in your own image, you tell him what you want heaven coming to earth to look like. But see, the heart of this part of the prayer is, God, I don't want to tell you what things look like. I want you to tell me what things look like. So that means when you pray, you don't demand God do anything.
God is not under your control. Just free yourself right now. Let me say that one more time. He is not under the influence of human beings. He is under the influence of himself. And the thing that he wants is for believers to be under his influence because he's under his influence. Somebody going to get that on the way home. And he knows how healthy it is to be influenced by him because he's perfect health. He's perfect everything. And so now he wants us. Jesus is saying we as the Godhead want the reality of what we've experienced for eternity together and what we've created to make its way to planet Earth. Now, it's two things that we see when we see the kingdom. We see two concepts. We see the already and the not yet. That's another phrase we're going to do. So the, so if the kingdom has two phases. Say the already and the not yet. Yeah, some people think that some Christians live in a sphere where they're waiting for the kingdom to come so they don't do nothing. Well, I mean, he's going to turn it all around, and I'm saved by grace alone, and so I'm not going to grow spiritually. I'm not going to walk with him. I'm not going to do anything, and I'm not going to do outreach. I'm not even going to do evangelism because God is going to save who he's going to save, and he's going to bring his kingdom one day and make everything different. That is demonic. But then there's the other side where people think that everything they do is building the kingdom. And one of the things that we must be careful of is falling on both of those, both of those stratums. So when we talk about the idea of the kingdom, let's talk about first the not yet. One of the things that Jesus said was his first sermon, was his first sermon about the gospel was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now it's beautiful because, because it, it literally can be translated, the kingdom is within your grasp. In other words, the kingdom is nearby. Now, when we talk about that idea of Jesus Christ announcing the kingdom, he was both announcing the already and not yet. When we say already, the kingdom has already come. And I'll explain what that looks like. However, the kingdom will not fully come now. In other words, God's rule will not fully be realized or practiced until Jesus comes back. And I'm telling you, this is going to impact your prayer life. And so in the Bible, one of the big con concepts that Jesus would do is he would always point them to the fact that the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is going to come. When Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, this is what he said. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He says, that day when I, Jesus, drink anew in the kingdom of God, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine. So Jesus says, I ain't going to drink no wine until we're all toasting in Revelation 19. And one day Jesus, like, like Doug was talking about last week during communion, is Jesus Christ is going to hold up a cup. And he's going to hold up a cup and he's going to, and there's going to be toasts all over heaven to the name of Jesus Christ. Announcing the fact that the kingdom has come and everybody's going to have a story to tell about when the kingdom wasn't fully realized to now when the kingdom is realized. And so Moses will be toasting. Abraham will be toasting. He'll say, here, here. They'll bang their spoons on the glasses and everybody will stand and he'll say, I want you. It's like at a wedding when the best man speaks and some of the best men in the kingdom will stand up and begin to clink their glasses asking the savior, kiss your bride, Jesus, kiss your bride. And then he'll say he'll hold up the glass and he say can I give a testimony of how the kingdom has impacted me listen if you don't understand the kingdom you want to be able in eternity to be able to hold up your glass of wine and have kingdom testimonies that's why your prayer life has to be kingdom centered because everybody will be talking about something that they've experienced but you haven't experienced it yet and so and so and so we as believers must have toast-worthy things. You don't want to be like somebody at the wedding who they ask to say something but really don't know the person. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> Boy, yeah. The, um, it's been, yeah. Let's take a toast. Drink, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you don't want to be that type of person. So this idea of the kingdom coming is us looking forward to a picture of God's reality. So your prayer has to reflect that. That means you have to have a vision of what God wants things to be like eternally. 
You got to have a, not your personal vision, but a vision of what redemption is going to look like when, 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 when Christ returns, when he comes back and he, he stands on the, the, the Mount of Olives and the, the mountain splits from east to west and he, the books of life are open. And then the Lord Jesus Christ has a crown on. He's going to have a crown. He's going to say many diadems. You know what I'm saying? He's going to have multiple fitteds on. Multiple fitteds. Just all types of joints, right? He's going to be up there and all of, his, all of his saints are going to be there. And it's going to be so banging to see the Lord Jesus Christ reveal himself in the fullness of the kingdom. Then the, the, the tabernacle of God, God in all of his essence is going to be, I don't even know what it looks like. I mean, I, the Bible don't even explain it. It just says that the tabernacle of God will be among men. Now, this is going to impact your prayer life. I know it seems all deep and esoteric, but we're going somewhere with all this. Stay with your boy. And so, and so, and so it's going to come down, and everything that God is is going to be fully experienced on planet Earth. And Jesus Christ, based on 1 Corinthians, is going to take all of his crowns off. And he's going to hand the kingdom back over to the Father. And he's going to say, Father, I know your first Adam wigged out on you. But me, the second Adam, I didn't wig out. I got your kingdom back, lived out the reality of your kingdom. Now I'm giving it back to you. And Jesus Christ is going to bow before God the Father and recrown him practically Lord over everything. And And that kingdom picture, God coming back should impact you. Things being changed totally. Heavens and earth are going to pass. That's going to be dumb. Can you imagine heaven and earth? I mean, burning up. Second Peter chapter 3 says, with intense heat. Everything's going to disappear. And then all of a sudden, cats are going to see a new heavens and a new earth. So I don't know what the moment in between the burning away and the news going, that's going to be crazy, dog. You know what I'm saying? And then the whole heavens and new earth come back and we just chilling. Jesus Christ brightening up anything with his eschatological glory and beauty and light. And then all of a sudden new heavens and new earth is going to come. Then nothing will ever change again. There will be no new sun. There will be no new moon because the glory of God will light the universe. The kingdom. The kingdom. That's the one that's coming, though. But now you got to look at the kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now we're saying, God, we want the reality of what's going to happen for us to have some trailers right now. See, I don't know if you've ever been excited about watching a movie. And somebody said, the trailer on the website now. And they're like, for real? You got to look at the trailer. And then you go look at the trailer and you're like, that trailer was ridiculous. See, a trailer is supposed to get you excited about seeing the movie. The Christian life is supposed to be filled with trailers. Your life is a trailer. Every time you say no to sin, that's a trailer. And every time you say yes to Jesus, that's a trailer. Every time you sin and don't fall out into deep sin, but confess your sin and repent of your sin, that's a trailer. Every time there's two solid Christian people getting married, that's a trailer. If you see a godly woman, that's a trailer. If you see two Christians having children in wedlock, that's a trailer. If you see somebody sharing their faith and ushering someone from spiritual death to spiritual life, that's a trailer. If you see someone who sinned against, I could keep going all day. If you see someone who sinned against someone, say, I'm sorry, I sinned against you. It was my fault, not your fault. That is a trailer. When you see college students turning to Jesus and invading their campus with the glory of Jesus Christ, that is a trailer. When you see marriages that are crumbling and they look 
to the gospel of Jesus Christ to restore and put their marriage back together. That is a trailer. When you see people who have been struggling to have kids, now God has given them the grace to get pregnant and to, and to participate in a godly seed. That is a trailer. When you see hustlers and thugs begin to get under the cross and submit their thugism and become theists and rather than thugs, but now they're theists and no longer thugs, that is a trailer. When you see chicks that used to whoremonger, let anybody get some, now saying it's shut down because now I'm under Christ. That is a trailer. I'm trying to let you know that when you pray to God, when you talk to God, you got to be dreaming about some trailers. Where, where is your trailer, family? I'm not talking about your YouTube video. I'm not talking about what's on your Facebook. I'm not talking about what you Twittered, but I'm talking about what you've done right in front of somebody's grill that they can see without you fronting through technology that you're doing something that you're not really doing. Because some of us, our Facebook looks better than our faces practically look. So it's going to be important, family God, that you have a trailer. How many of you want your life to be filled with a booming trailers? And guess what? Every time a Christian looks at the trailer of your life, they should be encouraged about the coming back of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and so now let's, let's apply that to prayer. Thy kingdom come. Jesus gives you, that's a big prayer. That means everything that gives a trailer of eternity, you need to be praying in that part of the prayer. So that means your prayer life has to become a little bit bigger. Now it's going to become bigger, but also very, very practical. And so now when we look at thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we want to see the reality of the already, but also the not yet. And so we see that in many, 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 many passages that Jesus Christ, I love the one when he says, when they said, yo, in Matthew chapter 12, it says that they said that Jesus cast out demons by the spirit of demons. And Jesus is very few. Now, Jesus jammed up a lot of people, but, but, but I'm just letting you know that on that moment, he shut it down a whole different way. He said, now you, you're really tripping. Jesus says, and he begins telling them, listen, now if y'all keep going, you can be convicted of an eternal sin. In other words, being unsaved and rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, you will never be able to get saved because he's the last witness of the triune Godhead. Whole another sermon. But if you reject the Father, then you reject the Son, then you reject the Spirit, you can't be saved. All right. But then he says, he says, but listen, he said, if he said, if I cast, if I cast out Satan by the spirit of Beelzebub, then then, hey, you know, what I'm saying Satan's kingdom is divided against itself. But what did he say after that? He says, but if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. In other words, Jesus' incarnation was filled with trailers. Every, if you only focus on the fact that Jesus Christ healed and you're just looking for healing, that's cool. But if you miss the trailer and all you want is the healing, then you get the, you get the practice without the person. And remember, salvation is more about the person than the practice. But if you get the person, then the practice is automatic. See, that's why God is not, God is not going to be our genie. The Bible is not like, dun, 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 you know, the little genie come out and come all out like this. And God come out saying, what is your wish? Three wishes you may have. God is not a like three wishes God. You know what I'm saying? Because God wants us. He, he controls he is a micromanager when it comes to his kingdom. And so now, Christians, you must begin praying differently. That means you must be picturing life under God. The Bible says, 
People without vision are unrestrained. That means there's no telling what you'll do if you don't have a biblical vision. So this means that now you need to load up your soul with biblical nutrition that gives you the picture of what God wants your life to be like. But if you just dream on your own and you sit off, you know, like Rafiki waiting for Simba to come back, you know what I'm saying? I'm just letting you know. You're looking for the wrong lion. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, Simba, he's returned. You know, if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you're looking for. We, not, we don't have Rafiki Christianity, you know what I'm saying? We love the movie and all of that. But we're looking for a bigger lion than Simba. Um, Jesus don't akuna matata. He don't say, you know, <laughs> what a wonderful phrase. Amen. <laughs> so don't start singing the song because I know y'all are vocalists. So when we pray your kingdom come, we, we, we're also asking, come and finish what you started. Show forth your sovereignty, your royal dominion. And this is what's interesting is God is going to remove all sub-sovereignties. He's going to take crowns from kings and he's going to redistribute crowns. And so based on our commitment to the kingdom now, he is going to redistribute crowns to his people. So this should deeply impact our prayer. So practical things about this. This part of your prayer life, your kingdom come, your will be done. It separates the mature from the immature. Let me explain that. I wrote some things down. See, immature prayer life is one that is informed, uh, is, that is not informed by the word of God. Immature prayer life is only driven by personal passions and personal pursuits. Immature prayer life only prays me. I need you, God. Today, I need you. In other words, it's self-centered prayer. Mature prayer life is consistently concerned with the heart of God because they feel uncovered outside of God's will. Let me, let me explain that. See, a person that's really consumed by a fleshly passion and desire, kingdom prayer isn't attractive. But I don't know if, how many of you have ever known that you are smack dab outside of the will of God. I mean, and, and the Holy Spirit is is. UFC headlocking you in the, I'm talking about got you in a, a real naked choke. And I mean, every step you make is excruciating. Now, now that's for a person that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ or haven't been handed over to Satan yet. And when, when, when you're, when, when, when the kingdom impacts, see a mature person is afraid of being out of the will of God. See, have you ever experienced yet being fearful of not being where God wants you to be. And if you haven't been there, then understanding that idea of the kingdom is not going to impact you if you haven't been to a place where you knew what it was like for the Holy Spirit to kick you right in your grill. See, I remember when I was in college fooling with chicks that I wasn't supposed to be fooling with and, and sitting on the side of the bed, tore up by the Holy Spirit with nowhere to run. Now, I'm talking real right now. Holding hands with people, leading women on, smoking weed, and trying to pray, God, please don't take my life. I mean, I mean, I don't know where I am. It's, I mean, help me, God. I mean, I'm getting a wild Irish road. Wake, I'm, I mean, I see, I got a testimony of darkness. And I remember what it was like to be in darkness, but knowing the Lord was like, you know you are bugging right now. And if you've never been there with the Holy Spirit, it's just like, get your Doom. And I'm just, see, when the Holy Spirit, see, the Holy Spirit's not nice about God's glory. And because he wants Jesus to be seen inside of you, he will not let you get away with punking his Savior's name. He's not going to let you get, some of y'all wrestling right now because you're punking the Savior's name. And right now, the Holy Spirit got your arteries in a headlock. See, when you want his kingdom to come, you are going to begin to say, God, I would rather wrestle through hardship in your will than to not be in your will and, and be wrestling because I, I don't feel like I'm near you. And only those who have sensed him near before. That's what prayer is about. 
is not being satisfied with God not being near to you. That's what prayer is about. And, and I don't know where you are in your walk, but I have to have God near me. I know I'm in him, but I know that many times he may not be near me. Now, nearness is not merely proximity, but we're being on practical talking terms. See, sometimes God will turn his back on you a little bit while loving you. And you'll be like, God, where are you at? I'm waiting to see how much you want me. So he's going to keep talking. You're gonna, he wants you to keep talking. And some of us give up too early. Because prayer has become a feeling not about his kingdom. I don't feel, I don't feel him today. I don't feel the peace of God. I don't care if you don't feel the presence of God. When you begin praying kingdom prayers, sometimes it doesn't feel good. It actually hurts. And so many of us need to learn the principle of hurting in prayer. Ah. So why pray? Somebody would say, if God is sovereign, then why pray? If, his, if he, we just praying down his kingdom, why don't he just bring his kingdom? You know, I mean, what, what is that all about? Well, God has a storehouse of stuff he wants to do that's in his conditional will. Okay. Or it's conditional decree. And so what happens, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. Go listen to the tape. I don't want to explain the whole thing right now. But, but, but this is important. He's waiting to release it, but he only utilizes hard-pressed prayers of his saints to bring some things that he wants to bring to pass to pass. But the, the thing that happens is, is that believers, many times, we don't rally with God in prayer enough for him to release the things that he's already been wanting to release. Some people misquote it, but the Bible does talk about the fact that those who are, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and, and seek my face, then I will heal them and free them. That's an example of it. In other words, it's something that God wanted to do for the children of Israel, but it was prayer that was going to be the means by which that thing was released. If that's the case, why in the heck did Paul do so much praying in the New Testament? In the beginning of 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Colossians, Romans, Ephesians, Philemon. Somebody said, Philemon, where that's at? But, you know, so, but, but I'm saying, he spent, the, the, one of the foremost apostles spent a lot of time praying. And if you look at his prayers, they were always kingdom come focused. God, open up the eyes of their mind in order that they may understand the mysteries of your revelation. Circumcise the soul of their hearts in order that they may not be merely physically um, circumcised, but their hearts may be sensitive to you. God, we pray for you always that you wouldn't take them out of their trials, but you would keep them while they're in their trial. That's kingdom prayer. But you got to learn that. You got to learn that. We can keep going on that. I'm going to go to the next thing so we can end this. Give us this day our daily bread. Powerful. Powerful statement. So let's transition from, we're not transitioning from kingdom. The kingdom impacts how you pray about provision. <laughs> oh, y'all, good God Almighty, I'm by myself. See, 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 the kingdom impacts what you ask God to do when it comes to how he even provides. David has one of the beastiest prayers I've heard of, on the issue of give us this day. He says, God, don't make me too rich that I might forget about you. But God, don't make me too poor that I become a thug and start to steal from you and sin against my God. He said, he said don't make me upper class. He said, I, I, you know, don't make me too lower class, ah, but make me put me right somewhere in the middle. You know, I ain't saying send me to the suburbs or nothing, God, but put me in the middle where I ain't got a front on you. He knew how to pray for provision. He, he, he was even scared of how much he prayed that God would give him just in case God gave it to him and he fronted on God. So he's, he even in his heart and in his passion, he even had a heart about how he prayed to God about what God provided. Give us this day. And, and when he says, give us this day, the, the, the prayer is really not praying for that particular day that he's in, but they're actually praying for the next day. Now, you got to understand, they didn't have freezers. They didn't have dry ice. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have refrigerators. All they had was salt. 
So they, so whatever, like if if Pookie the pig, I mean Pookie the 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 the, the cow was walking around. He didn't get killed that day. They didn't have all these aging and curing methods like we got today. So when it says, give us this day, he's talking about, God, I want moment by moment dependence on you. Jesus says, what you must do is have moment by moment dependence on God. See, see, it, Romans chapter 14, the last verse says, anything not done in faith is sin. Now let's talk about faith for a second. Because in fundamentalist, conservative, evangelical Christianity, faith is no more than, okay, trusting God for salvation, but nothing else. So you rarely pray for anything. Oh, I don't want to do that because I don't want to ask for too much and I don't want to have a... It's idolatry to idolize being poor. Just as idolatrous as it is to showing godliness through being rich. I could spend a whole series on that, but... But, but, it's, but it's idolatry. And so what Christians are supposed to do is you're supposed to freely ask. If something doesn't violate the character of God in principle, then you need to open up and pray about it. Now, that doesn't mean... Now, I know when we got on the section of His kingdom come, this is very important, that sometimes it feels like all of your prayers have to be perfect. That's, that's not what we're saying here. You'll find that out because what you pray won't come to pass, so it don't even matter whether it's perfect or not, right? But this is the powerful thing. When you're praying for God to do something, that means when somebody needs healing, physical healing, you don't have to just say, God, whatever you want to do, do. Doggone it, pray. Ask specific. And that's when I go back to my charismatic brothers who are solid. God, in the name of Jesus, we pray right now that you would release your power Please, God, on the liver, on the... And, and God, a, a good God Almighty, I feel God right now. Listen, every now and then, you need to have a prayer life that's relentless like that. When, you, when you're believing God about something, because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Some of God, maybe, kind of, if you would. Sometimes you need to just say, God, I'm just going to lay it on the line. Here it is, God, and you need to start yelling. Some of y'all ain't got married yet because you ain't yelled loud enough yet. <laughs> y'all need to begin to call on him in faith. Well, God, I, I know that here in the text it says, you need to be biblical. But, but it's okay to yell. I'm going to just say that. Can I say, yeah, I, got, I know I got, I got the mic. It's okay to yell sometimes. And ask him for stuff. I just want to free you up. You can ask God for stuff. Now, we don't go to him for the stuff. Let me, let me, let's just remember that. Because we don't want to get stuff and forget about him. However, if you go through the Bible, they ask God very specifically for different things. Even Jesus said it. Jesus said, Father... I ain't praying this for the people around because you know me and you already get it in like that. He says, but I'm praying that you would glorify your name in this specific way. See, and, and then he says, in the name of me, basically, Lazarus. Come here, baby boy. And Lazarus, see, Jesus used the power of God in his humanity to call forth Lazarus. And Lazarus came out like this. Came out like this, tied all up and bound. He, like, I don't even know if the man could breathe. And he said, unbound him and let him go. In other words, Jesus even prayed specifically, but it was still focused on the person. So if you, you're looking for a ride, I'm going to just be real clear. Don't pray for a hoop. I just want a hoopty. That's bad stewardship. Don't pray for that. Why would you want a lemon? You don't just want a car. You want a car that's in excellent condition so that you can continue to glorify God through your tithes and your offerings. Amen. And then, um, and then be able to pay all your bills on time. No pink slips, no blue slips, no black slips. Amen. You need to pray like that. And God, because if, if, if you don't, God, I'm just saying, how can I glorify you if I'm still late for so many things? And if you send me a car, I'll be on time more often. I'm just getting real practical. Some of us just need to pray, Lord, help me to get money so I can get a haircut. Because, you know what I'm saying? Some of us need haircut money. And I'm just saying, ask God specifically. But then, 
pray back to God the benefit he gets out of giving you what he's giving you. See, God say, what benefits do I get out of? I mean, I know you getting loved on, but what about your boy? And, and God doesn't receive any strengthening of his soul by it. It's just that others benefit by seeing him and how he blesses you. So when you say, give us this day our daily bread, that means God, I, I'm, I'm, God, I want to, I'm, I'm having authentic faith in you in the hope and belief that your kingdom is going to come even through the way you provide the things that I ask you. And so that's very, very important that we see our identity in relation to that in our prayer lives. And last but not, I mean, well, I got two more things. Then he says, forgive us. Look at, look, at, look at what he says right here. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, some people say, well, this is different than the other one. The issue is the focus of the principle, not the difference of the wording. And so, give, uh, so it says, forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. Same principle. In other words, we're still focusing on the principle, not the wording, okay? And so what's interesting here is when he says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone. This is beautiful. I want you to zoom in on this real nice like. Now he begins to talk about the spirit of forgiveness in your prayer, the attitude of forgiveness in prayer, which is very important for every Christian. Now, remember, he's not giving an order. He's giving you principles and content and depth to what your prayers should include in it. So when he said, forgive us our sins for every or we forgive everyone indebted to us, this is not a sense of one deserving forgiveness. If you're in Jesus Christ, all of your sins have been forgiven. All of them. Past, present, and future. People always ask, well, if I don't forgive someone, will God not forgive me and do I lose my salvation? That's not what this passage is saying. What it is saying is, the way God has forgiven you, you are letting it impact how you forgive others. Because it's hard, that's when, that's when you have nearness issues with God. You are going to have nearness issues with God when you are walking in unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone else and you're asking him to reconnect you in fellowship with him when you're not willing to deal with your brother or sister or even if they're not a brother and sister in Christ in the right way that releases and frees up your ability to walk practically in community with another person. And ultimately with God. And so when he says, do this, we're asking God. That means that prayer, do it while you're praying and you begin to get on the forgiveness section, you should feel funny. If you haven't forgiven anybody. So this time is a time of meditation in prayer where you, where you begin to search your heart. And you begin to say, Lord, are there any deep breaches in my relationship with anybody in my life? That is going to hinder deep interaction between you and I. And so this is the time in prayer where you begin to meditate on that and think about it. Not ignore it. Many of us go through prayer like nothing happened. Many of us go through prayer like we've, done, we've dealt well with people. And we run through, and this is that reverential part, the hallowed be your name, shows itself practically in when you get to the part that deals with our lack of holiness. So the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The Bible says if anybody fronts like they don't have sin, they're a liar and the truth is not in them. Then it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 John, it says, and if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And so Jesus Christ talks to the Father, and they conversate together. I don't know if it's about telepathy or how they do their thing. But they talk about us and talk about we need to fall. Jesus will say, Father, let's, let's act like we're not near them right now because they will not deal with their issues with their mother. They won't deal with the issue with their wife. So let's, 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 let's withdraw a sense of our presence a, a, and a sense of blessing. So, and, 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 and he will command the spirit of God to gnaw at us about that lack of forgiveness. And feel like prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling like ricocheting lasers until we are willing to deal with it. 
And as soon as you say, you go to that person and say, you know what, I tripped out. I, I'm not asking anything from you. I'm asking you to forgive me. Let's pray together. Let's repent. And God, Father, Jesus said, you hear that, Dad? It's like, yeah. Take the lock off of them now. Release what they've been asking for now. Release our community to them again. So that they can enjoy us and we can enjoy them again. And God doesn't take pleasure in that. He takes pleasure in being around us. And so that is the, that's the center of gospel-centered prayer. Is if you're not applying the gospel to your relationships, there's going to be deep frustration in your eternal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But then he goes and he says, lead us not into temptation. I love that one. I love that one. This doesn't mean that God says, I don't like you. Lead him into all types of foolishness. That's not what God does. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 17, that when you're tempted, don't act like God is tempting you because he doesn't tempt. However, this is a prayer to ask God for protection. I love that. That means God, if you don't protect me, this is what he's saying in the North Philly version. God, if you don't protect me, I'm going to wig out. So, God, there's a lot of sin available to me. And without you, I'm going to go into each and every one of them. Now, some of y'all think y'all are strong. That's why you're weak now. Because in your weakness, he makes you strong. He says, so... So, so, so when we're asking, lead us not into temptation, that means let the phone ring when I want to wig out. Let me go to first. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, and we misquote this a lot of times. It says, there is no temptation that we experience that is common to man, but God is faithful that he will not allow on us more than we can bear, and he will always cause a way of escape. Now, in the context, it's us wigging out and God and, 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 and the enemy allowing a bunch of temptations to come our way. And the issue is, is that now he's uh, coming after us with all types of darts, all types of fine men for the ladies and whoever else, and, and all types of fine uh, dudes and all types of pornography and all types of pride and all types of greed, all types of things, all types of temptations. And so what, what you do is God, these temptations are coming. So what God will do is he creates ways to stop you from going into the temptation, but allowing something to happen so you'd be willing to walk away from him. See, I know that you've been, there's a temptation right in front of you, and you're like, <laughs> I'm going to chip out right now. And the Lord will do something to take your mind off of the temptation so that you can be sober of mind and think about his word and turn away from it. But you know what some of us will do? We'll ignore God's alarm systems. And this prayer is saying, God, don't let me ignore your alarm system. You break in my house if you want to. There are three sets of alarms. There's the woo-woo-woo, that. There's the police coming. And then there's me. Come in my house if you want to. But, um, but these alarms set off in order to warn someone that's tempted to do something crazy in my crib to get the heck out. Amen. That's what God's alarm systems are for you. Is the Lord is trying to tell some of y'all, get the heck out. And so when that phone rang, when you was about to do something, you ain't had no business. When that text message came, when that person knocked at the door... When somebody yelled your name, when, when a oh, scripture just popped in your mind out of no, where'd that come from? Flee. Oh, where'd that come from? Flee. But you need to be praying about God's, God, God, help me to pay attention to your alarm system. And everyone that has an alarm, and God will not turn the alarm off until you flee to sin. And so we're praying today that we will become a people of deep prayer. This is what Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to pray relationally with the Father. He teaches us to pray reverently to the Father. He, he teaches us to understand a deep and rich understanding of his name. And then he goes from there and begins helping us to understand that our lives are to be trailers 
of a coming kingdom. And not only trailers of a coming kingdom, but we also should pray in faith for specific things that we believe that can be in God's will based on his name, based on his kingdom, that he will actually release. And then from there, we pray, Lord, help us not to dishonor your name by falling into every single opportunity that comes our way. That's your prayer life, family. So now, get your secret place together. Don't just have the place as a secret place, but go to it. Don't just say, I got a secret place now. Now go to it. And make way to make ways to get with your God. And to influence yourself by being in community with him, by getting in prayer with him. Next week, we're going to pick up in sex and sanctification. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for prayer. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to experience you and to experience eternal community with you. God, I pray that we will bombard your throne regularly, that our lives may be filled with a passion and the knowledge of you, Lord God. And I pray, God, that we will be a church of prayer. Maybe someone here doesn't know you, and they don't know that their prayers have been ricocheting off the ceiling, bouncing all over the place, and need a deep understanding of their need, Lord God for you. And so God, I pray that someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior, who doesn't have relationship with God through Jesus Christ, Lord God, would meet you, would meet you for the first time by repenting of sin and turning towards you. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we want to offer you that opportunity to trust him by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. That's turning from your sin and turn it towards him in, in faith. That means, that means believing that the Christ, when he died on the cross, all of your sins, past, present, and future, was put on him. And when he died, you died. And when he was raised from the grave, you was raised from the grave. And the beef that he had with you, he took out on Jesus. And that you no longer have to pay the penalty of your sin. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. We'd like to love on you. We'd like to connect you with the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. We'd like to come talk to you about a deeper relationship with him. If you wanted to trust Christ, if you want to trust him, we got a card on the table in the back. We want to chop it up with you, connect with you, engage you with the gospel so that you would understand what it looks like to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Communion is a time for believers.